Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm Matt's older brother. I'm a writer, and I'll be asking him the questions. And with me is Matthew. Hey, everybody. Before we get into the episode, just want to remind everybody, we do have many ways that you can support the podcast. You can just continue to listen. You can engage with us by leaving comments. You can like the podcast. And you can also visit stilltbd.fm. There's a link there that will allow you to put some coins in the coffee can if you so choose. And we appreciate any kind of support that you're able to give, even if it's just listening, liking, and subscribing. Before we get into the next episode, I'd like to share some ep- comments from the previous episode. We continue to get many people pointing out that we look alike. That's not going to change. <laughs> yes. One of the comments, and this is from our most recent episode where we talked about electric trucks and shipping. And Dave Lindenmuth pointed out, why not put the batteries in the trailer? Switch trailers and keep driving. The next driver who comes in drops off his depleted trailer and picks up the now recharged trailer dropped previously. I actually think that's a pretty smart idea. That's pretty damn ingenious. Yeah. You ask me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's puts the reliance on the destinations for the trailers as opposed yeah. to putting the reliance on the tractor. So yeah. I thought that was a great suggestion. And then Arna Biwas. Biswas, excuse me for mispronouncing your name, commented that electric vehicle-based airport luggage carriers would be good with the torque they produce, and they can charge in between hauling the carriage to and from the planes and could charge off of solar panels laid on the roofs of boarding areas. Yeah, that's a good one. And then Anthony Gott weighed in, and Anthony just was bemoaning the fact that Basically, money-making capitalist engines are driving some of the decision-making process around this. And I share that frustration, Anthony. I I wish there was more of deciding on the side of what was best because it was best as opposed to what we currently have, which is a lot of waiting for people with power and money to decide it's worth their time and effort to do what's best. Um, but I agree. Yeah. That's part of the reason why I'm a proponent of government policies because government policies can help speed up that kind of thing because governments put their thumbs on the scale on pretty much everything. And it's like, you just put your thumb on the scale and give like discounts for something. Suddenly it makes it cheaper for a business. And suddenly everybody wants to do that thing because it's going to be the cheapest way for them to do business, accelerating the transition to whatever that thing is. So there are ways to kind of accelerate that but that's a hotly debated issue. (laughs) It is. Yes. It's incredibly, um, there's a contentious discussion around that. And anytime you end up with government involvement, unfortunately there's a component of the public that immediately says that's communism or socialism. And it becomes a battle of ideals as opposed to any sort of practical or pragmatic approach. And saying to people, we're talking about, you know, having an impact on the world for decades in the future is very often not an argument that's heard at all. So it's, it's, you know, the question is always, if you could go back in time, would you kill baby Hitler? 
Um, if you could go back in time, do you think you'd have any luck convincing somebody in the 1940s that the way that the economy is structured and the industries that are currently being supported, could you convince anybody to change based on an argument that in the early 21st century, we might be dealing with something called global warming? It's well, I I never expected on the show to end up talking about baby Hitler. Well, I think it was inevitable. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode from his channel. This episode was titled, This 3D Printed House Changes Everything. And his episode dropped on May 4th, 2021. And as was pointed out by Garrow327, I don't think it's a coincidence Matt posted this video on Star Wars Day. Personally, I welcome my Tatooine domicile. May the 4th be with you. (laughs) May the 4th be with you too. (laughs) Yes, Garrow pointed this out because of, and I was uh, as excited as could be to see that the domiciles that were proposed by the company that you referred to as winning NASA's challenge for creating Martian domiciles, they effectively look like giant beehives planted in the ground. And I thought that was pretty, pretty darn cool. The, um, the other aspect of these 3d printing homes that I thought was fascinating was it appears that there's a big push to make them look like traditional houses when they're done. Yeah. I actually preferred the ribboned concrete look. I liked, I liked the, it wasn't necessarily futuristic, but it was different. And it was a little bit along the lines of seeing a stucco house as opposed yeah. to something with wood paneling. And I couldn't help but wonder are there any companies that are proposing this kind of home design that includes an alternative exterior design oh, in that way? Most of them are like the one that you're talking about, the company that I think is icon that's done in Austin, Texas, building out that, um, development where the first story is 3d printed and the second story is built through traditional methods. Um, that first story, they will leave it as is if the, person who's buying it wants it left that way and if they don't they can basically stucco over it and smooth it out make it this pristine looking thing but the owner the ceo of that company basically said he thinks most people that are buying these houses will probably want to leave them that way and then just paint them because it's such a unique interesting architectural feature that you don't see anywhere so it's like there's a there's a cool factor to it that i think is pretty cool there is and i was reminded of the house that was in in the township where you and I grew up, uh, you probably remember the golf ball house. Oh, yeah. The house yes. that every time we drove past it with our parents, our parents would laugh at it. And it, yeah, I look back on it now and, and I recognize like that, that house was very much ahead of its time. It was very effectively, it looked like a geodesic dome that was made out of Lincoln Logs. It was faux wood paneling or something that was designed to look like it was wood and it was made out of what was it like hexagons that were connected to create a dome shape and clearly designed to minimize on heating costs and it would have a very different interior because it was from the exterior it looked like the interior would have been perfectly round 
So yeah. you would have ended up with exterior walls that would have been very curved. And I remember our parents would always laugh at the idea of how would you hang paintings or pictures on the wall and stuff like that? How would you put furniture in places? And looking back on it now, I think that they're laughing at it is kind of quaint because yes. as I'm watching the video, your video, and it's showing the design of these three 3D printed homes, I could see how a circular printing would probably be advantageous from a design standpoint mm -hmm. printing one of these in a circle would probably be cheaper because the printing would be on a i just imagine it's it's probably easier from a technological standpoint to get a 3d printer to print a circle than it would be to print what's close to a square i base that on nothing other than <laughs> my understanding of geometry you know if you have a right. circle every point is equidistant from the center so if you have a machine that's designing and spraying this thing it's there's not going to be as many moving parts it's going to be it's going to be uh, a different a different approach but that's that was the other part of the martian design which was those were effectively beehives circles yeah they're beehives, so yeah. they were they were circle in design did you see anything that was earthbound that was that radical? No, most of the ones I was seeing, they were still, some of them were kind of radical compared to what you would see in a traditional building because you're not constrained by straight lines for the most part. So some of the buildings, like the office buildings that I was finding that are doing this, like there was that one that was made by a Russian company that does this, where it was this very kind of swooping, soft, gradual rounded corners to the buildings and kind of like a almost parapet kind of design to the front. It's like, because you aren't, like you said, there's no constraints. So you could build something that's a circle or uh, any shape you want. Uh, so yeah, it's like, I wouldn't say it was radical, like what you're talking about in where we grew up. Uh, there was also that house. I don't know if you remember this one that was set back in kind of a ravine and it looked like an Ewok village. <laughs> do you remember that one? Yes, I do. It was like, it was like a flying saucer on like a stalk that was just like in a ravine. It was like, what is it with <laughs> upstate New York yeah. and building weird houses? Yeah. But it's every it time I drove as, past it, I would think yub nub. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't as I, I couldn't find anything as avant-garde as that. Um, it was most of them were just kind of like, rectangular-ish shapes with rounded corners was most of what I was finding. Um, and part of me thinks that that might be the case because it's close to what people would expect and probably want versus sky's the limit, do whatever you want. Right. And you mentioned that the prices of these homes are currently being marketed in the Texas site. Yeah. At prices that are comparable for, a little, a little cheaper, but it's a little bit cheaper, yeah. but in, in the range of homes. And that's, I guess my, my question is, I assume that's based on square footage. Mm -hmm. Is there a limit to how much square footage these homes could be built toward? No. Like if you have a three bedroom home, that's a kind of standard layout, kind of standard size. And then how large could they go? And could these be built along modular doesn't seem like the right word, but in different components built at different times, could you do an addition to a house using this technology? You, you theoretically could. There's no square footage 
holdback. The one holdback right now is multi-story uh, because they aren't like they aren't approved based on how you have to build them. They aren't really approved in the United States, at least for like two and three story buildings yet, which is part of the reason why that company in Texas is doing the first floor this way and then the second floor is normal. Um, so it's like they're still working out the kinks of can you make something that's super structurally sound with this method that's multi-story building like that there are there are versions in other areas of the world that are already doing two-story versions but not here um so there's there's still some <laughs> it's like this is still very early days for this technology but if you're building a ranch it's like you could build a three thousand square foot ranch it's like there's no right there's no size limitation for a one-story building at this point and then the issue just becomes the real estate itself itself exactly. the land you need to make sure that you had enough room for a house that big right one of the things you talked about in the video was the, is it the DARPA using, trying to apply research that is materials that would actually consume, was it carbon dioxide and then extrude? The, they're, they're researching basically living bricks in a way where it's like you can make something out of like mycelium. So you're basically making out of mushrooms and fungus. And it could self-repair. So like imagine you're building something on Mars and there's a damage in the crack and the, the thing would actually just like grow and fill itself back in, um, which is super sci-fi kind of stuff yes. you're talking about. And then these bricks that are capable of basically basically eating carbon dioxide, they absorb it out of the atmosphere and then convert it into kind of a solid material, which would strengthen itself. So you're talking about something that like Right now, when you build the cement building, this is one of the downsides of the technology is cement is very, it puts out a lot of CO2 equivalents in the atmosphere to manufacture and make cement. Right. So using, making a cement building in itself is kind of like not a green way to do it. Right. But if you have something like this, where it's like, it would actually remove CO2 from the atmosphere to actually build with it, which is kind of crazy that you'd have a wall that would theoretically be like sucking <laughs> CO2 out of the atmosphere. Yeah. Which is really cool. Does the wall slowly over time get bigger? I mean, I, I don't know. It's like I was looking into it and I couldn't find any details on that because that was my first question is like, would your house be like a tree? Would it just get thicker over time? Yeah. <laughs> or would yeah. It, is at a certain point, does it just stop doing that? And it is what it is. I'm assuming yes. it's just, it stops at a certain point and you, it is what it is. Right. Or you're sitting watching television and it's like, honey, are we getting closer to the television or is the television <laughs> getting closer to us? That just seems... Or, or it starts to envelop and grow around the TV. It's like, yeah, is just, getting smaller? <laughs> is, what happened to the screen? Have you seen the dog recently? <laughs> Which leads me to some of the comments on your video, like James Nurgles, who wrote DARPA, I'm going on holiday. Do you mind feeding my house while I'm away? <laughs> and I also enjoyed this one from Federico Lucci, who wrote... If they get as many failed prints as I do, there will be a whole neighborhood of unfinished and messed up houses. Yes. <laughs> I have friends who have 3D printers and they have so many aborted prints of like half mutated, whatever the thing they were trying to make. So it's like, right. I just imagine these half printed houses just piling up. Yeah. Just like, and the team just moving on. I'm like, well, that one's screwed. Let's move it to the next lot. <laughs> yeah. And this one from Matthew Graham who wrote, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency is in real life. I'm waiting for them to create the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division, which 
if there's any Marvel heads out there, they would recognize that shield. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. A lot of this does just scream sci-fi. Yeah, and it it's really kind of a... Um, the fact that these are homes that are being built now is really kind of interesting, but it's all based on location. If you had the ability to say like, Oh, I'm going to buy some land. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to do it this way. Cause this, this is exactly what I want. Would you buy one of these homes? Would you, would you actually have a house built in this way? That's a good question. My response would be no. Uh, mainly because it's still too early days for me. It's there's still, um, longevity issues i'd be curious about how they stand up over the you know, 20 30 years i'd be curious how how well they stand up to like if you wanted to remodel um th- there's just a lot of questions i have uh the company icon they've recently started doing things where like because these are hollow walls it's like there's an inner thick wall and an outer i have it reversed and a thick outer wall an air gap and then a thinner inner wall and then there's like this pattern in between They've actually started to basically inject kind of like a foam insulation in between mm-hmm. to make it super well insulated. But I have questions of like, how's that held up over time? Because cement is porous and it breathes. So it absorb water. And it's like, would there be mold issue problems? Would you run into like, there's just so many questions I have. So it's like, for me, I would just be kind of like, mm, I'll, I'll wait and see how this pans out over the next decade. Right. And to pick up on some of the elements of what we were just talking about, living materials materials that are able to self-repair yeah absorb things in the environment extrude uh different materials in response to that it seems like there would be if they're already seeing that sort of development now 10 15 20 years from now i wonder about the ability to 3d print something closer to materials that would be more forgiving of moisture and yeah, oh yeah. the ability yeah. to process all of that. Not necessarily a living house in the form of it's 3D printing wood, but something that would actually be able to manage that and maybe even absorb moisture and put that moisture back into the exterior around the home, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I think that this is a, I agree with you. It feels very early days. Um, and yeah, I say that while sitting in a building that was built in the late 1800s. So <laughs> I guess I'm slow to adapt. Moving on to the second half of our show, as usual, we're going to share some of our thoughts on things that we have been watching to pass the time. And Matt, I'm going to flip a coin. Mm. Guess what? What? Uh, I already landed its heads. It's me. I'm going to stop. Okay. Nobody called it okay. <laughs> so I have two things I wanted to talk about. Three, if I throw out this initial thought that just occurred to me, I, for the very first time, saw a Fast and Furious movie. Um, Which one? The very first one. Okay. Watched The Fast and the Furious. And it was... In response to, I, I've mentioned before, I love the podcast, How Did This Get Made? And they recently had a mini episode in which Paul Shear and Jason Menzoukas talked about the Fast and Furious 9 trailer. Yeah. yeah. 
and that trailer that just dropped about a week ago, um, it's about three minutes long. Their discussion of it was an hour long and it is very funny because they watched it with the trailer. They discussed an hour conversation a, about a trailer, an hour conversation because they watched the trailer without having seen it before. And they paused it whenever they felt like they had something to talk about. Okay. So they were pausing in some cases, they were pausing every 15 seconds. It's a very funny episode. I watched the trailer before listening to the episode because I wanted to be able to, you know, envision what they were talking about. It's a very engaging hour. It's very funny. And after, after listening to that, um, we recently just subscribed to a couple of different services, streaming services we didn't have before. And while looking at what all the things that we had available to us, the first two fast and furious movies popped up and my partner said like, I'm actually, that's the mood I'm in right now. Like that's what I could handle. She just got her second vaccination shot. So she moved in slow motion for a good portion of the, of the weekend. And I think she was just in a, I can sit and watch people race cars. Yeah. That'll be great. Yeah. Um, and I'd never seen any of them before. So I, we watched it. I thought it was great. I loved it. It's a movie that I had never seen, not because I was avoiding it actively, just because I never took the effort to actually see it. So I watched it. One of my biggest pleasures to come out of it was, I don't know that other than Tammy and the T-Rex, which is another How Did This Get Made movie that starred Paul Walker. Other than that, I had never seen a Paul Walker movie. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting seeing him. But it was for me, one of the biggest joys to come out of it was watching a movie in which it's all about street racing and having seen the trailer for the ninth movie in that franchise where it ends up and how bananas the world they are taking place in gets. I think it is, it is the equivalent of if you saw a trailer for little house on the prairie Uh and then saw yes. that nine movies later it was close encounters of the third kind yes it's just how do you get from i strongly this is about street racing to suddenly we have to go i mean it, it looks for all intents and purposes like in the ninth movie they're going to go into space so it's it's just bananas but i really enjoy that i think it's great that the movies are just that one upmanship of themselves. And I, th- and I think it, it, it was, seems like it's a lot of fun. I strongly recommend that you keep watching them because they are just pure fun and joy. And it was uh movie five, six, and seven where I just, I was like, I was in, it was like, that was when they went, it went from we're car racing movies to we're freaking superheroes that use right. cars. And it right. was, they do things in cars that are not, possible in reality and it's basically the marvel movies as cars yeah and so it's like it was five was like okay that was bananas and then six was like wait what are you doing and then seven was like you've got to be kidding me like you're right <laughs> you're launching cars between skyscrapers and stuff like that it's like, what's going on it's it's just it becomes pure joy and that's also when they introduced uh uh the rock he started showing up in the movies it's like yeah they're, and I, I'd never family, seen any Sean. of it. It's all about family. It's about I know family. it's all about the family. It's about family. I think uh, I've never seen any of the Fast and Furious movies, but I have seen Hobbs and Shaw. 
And so I already had a sense of like, where does this universe end up? Yeah. And it, it Hobbs and Shaw by itself is very off the path of what this movie presents. So yeah. I was already, I was already like, how did these two things connect? But after seeing the trailer for the ninth one, I can't wait to watch more of them. I do plan yeah. on watching more of them. Uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about really quickly was a documentary that's on Netflix and it's called my octopus teacher. I've seen this. And it was a very lovely, meditative, and very, very moving examination, not from hard science, but from just personal connection of this, this filmmaker, a documentarian who in a period in his life where he's feeling overwhelmed and anxious around how to continue to do the work that he's been doing goes and begins to just reconnect with the ocean, which is something from his youth that he always enjoyed. And when he begins to explore, he's in South Africa, he begins to explore this reef where there is an octopus that he, that he identifies. He decides to just visit daily and it's really about, and it's clearly a, a relationship which is two directional, but only one of those is human. The other direction, who knows what it is? And that's really what the documentary is about. It's this, there's a two-way relationship, only one side of which we can fully understand. And ultimately, it's an exploration, I think a very lovingly done exploration of if you find yourself incapable of understanding the world around you, it may in some cases be because you are holding yourself out of the world. Mm -hmm. Not that the world is not doing something for you, but that you may be disconnecting yourself from it. And as the documentary continues, he explores the idea that earlier in his life, when he saw other people in other environments doing things that he thought were spectacularly inexplicable that there were people who lived in environments where they seemed so in tune and he couldn't understand how they were able to connect that simply by spending as much time in an environment as he does, he begins to see things day after day where his world is growing, not because of anybody teaching him these things, but just by being there. It's a very Zen documentary. And like I said, it's not hard science. No. There's a lot of anthropomorphizing going on, but it's anthropomorphizing of the best kind. It's one that is reconnecting a human to the world as opposed to trying to bring the world into the human world. And I really connected with it largely because I go into it already with like, I love octopuses. I mean, it's just a, <laughs> it's just, they're just amazing creatures. They're really astounding. Yeah. But going into the documentary and the storytelling going on, it's very touching and it's very moving and it's very peaceful. It really is a, a very beautifully shot and meditative and calming story. And for me, it came, I came to it at, at just the right time where I was feeling not overwhelmed, but just frazzled by things that are going on in my life right now. There's a lot happening and there's the, attempt now to reemerge into the world as the vaccine is, is becoming more prevalent. I myself am between shots 
and thinking about things like traveling again, seeing people again, going and seeing people without masks again, re-emerging into the world. And there's some anxiety around some of that and seeing this thing, which was about kind of calming down, sinking and settling and taking a deep breath and just taking in the world as it is around you at the moment was kind of the message I needed at that time. So I highly recommend it. I've seen this and I agree with everything you just said. I would add to it. The cinematography is astonishing in the film. And of course, some of it, they went, they filmed after the fact, but the stuff that was filmed in the moment, I don't know how he got some of the shots he got. It's like, there is some stuff that happens in the film. That's like, how did you manage to be there just at that right moment with your camera do and get these beautiful shots? It's, it seems almost impossible some of the stuff that you get to see in the film mm-hmm. it's just it's very it's a very emotional movie it was yes yeah. it was very cathartic to watch is kind of how i'd put it yeah and the last thing i want to talk about and this pulls us back to the may the fourth reference i wanted to mention and matt i imagine you may be uh ready to talk about the same thing the new star wars series the bad batch available on disney plus which the first episode I have the first two episodes have now been made available. I've only seen the first one, so I'm going to limit my comments to the the setup episode, but it couldn't have come at a better time for me. (laughs) My family, we are currently in the midst of a star Wars rewatch. We are watching things in chronological order and we had just finished our rewatch of the clone wars. And we were taking a little bit of a break, not intentionally around the waiting for the Bad Batch, but the Bad Batch follows right on the heels of the end of the Clone Wars, even to the point where the opening title card starts off with the Clone Wars that burns away to reveal the words the Bad Batch. And I thought that top to bottom, I really enjoyed the show. It feels very star Wars to me. It feels star Wars in the most fun way mm-hmm. as opposed to there's a certain moment where as I was watching it, I thought I'm like, it really doesn't feel like they're introducing new characters here. It really didn't feel like these were all that different from the clones that have been in the, in the series from the clone wars. Although that is the point they are supposed to be different from one another in in very distinct ways that are sharper than the clones typically are but what really worked for me was perhaps it's because of the familiarity with the clones up to this point that it just felt like an organic continuation of a story and i liked some of the easter egg moments of characters from other elements of star Wars that were dropped in. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a droid in the episode who has appeared in previous episodes of the clone wars. And there was the opening sequence, um, which I thought was fantastic, which shows the clones, the, the bad batch working with a Jedi whose apprentice is on hand. And that apprentice is Kanan from the rebels Mm -hmm. series. So there are 
they've already put themselves in a position of linking up to other stories right from the get-go. And I'm looking forward to seeing wh- how the show evolves. And I, and I can already see some of the tension that's going to be building between the characters and maybe what the larger story arc will be. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling I, know, I can recognize what that is. But as far as just wanting a Star Wars fix, wanting a new Star Wars fix, this show appeared at the perfect time. And I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I haven't watched it quite yet. It's it's on my up next <laughs> to watch. I'll probably start watching it this week. I'm really excited to start watching because it it's like I love all those shows. Those shows are better than than the prequel movies by yeah. like a thousand times. So like they are like the truest Star Wars that's available right now, which I just watching love. the Clone Wars after watching episode two. And we watched all the Clone Wars up to the point where the very the penultimate episodes of the Clone Wars series are right before episode three. So we watched almost the entire series and then we watched episode three and then we finished the Clone Wars. And now the Bad Batch picks up right at the end of that, where you are once again seeing General Order 66 being enacted and you're seeing how the Bad Batch reacts to it as mm-hmm. they see what's happening. And it is... So it's a third angle of that you have in episode three, Order 66 goes out. And then in the Clone Wars, they have the revelation of when Ahsoka sees Order 66 go out. And now you're Hmm. seeing the Bad Batch experience Order 66. Hmm. I think that it's like that moment splitting off with three storylines that go off in very different directions and showing how everybody's understanding of what the Republic is and what the galaxy is like. And watching it shatter and showing these things go in different directions. And it's just very well done. It's just, and it, and this show, as opposed to the Clone Wars with the the Ahsoka storyline, the Ahsoka storyline reverberates with a sadness. Yeah, it does. This storyline, there is confusion and there is sadness, but ultimately it is a lot more of just hold on, we got a, we got an adventure to have and it's Mm -hmm. a dark adventure. It's a sad adventure. They're looking at things change and they're like, what is happening? We don't get this. This isn't right. But as they're jumping off, it is very much about the jumping off. They're jumping off into something and they're like, we don't know where we're going to land, but we have to try and survive. So right. It's a good time. Cool. Looking forward to it. Um, on my side, uh, the first thing I wanted to bring up is, uh, just we recording on sunday just last night elon musk was the host of saturday night live and i didn't watch it live i watched it this morning and i was all week so nervous because this shouldn't shock anybody but elon musk is a very awkward individual um he's socially awkward he says things that are controversial and so i was worried that and he's not a performer so i was worried that he was going to come across either horrible on the show or it could turn out to be pretty funny. And after watching the whole episode, it turned out to be pretty funny. He was much better than I was expecting. He's obviously not a natural performer, but he did a great, great job. Um, and I, one of the things, my favorite parts was his opening monologue. He brought up that he's the first person with Asperger's to ever be a host of the show. And then he made the joke of at least that somebody talked about publicly. So it's right. like <laughs> making a joke that other hosts may have had Asperger's too. Um, but he, they, they used him just the right amount where it was like, they never put him in situations where he was going to have to be 
the centerpiece of whatever the scene was he was in where like if you had an actor as your host you could put them dead in the middle like alec baldwin could be the centerpiece of, of the skit they didn't do that with elon it was so smart um so sometimes he was just a little secondary character off on the side um they had uh, a scene a, a pre-filmed episode that they showed a little skit that was uh, what do they call it? it was conversations of like a party after quarantine like these are the conversations everybody's having coming out of quarantine and it was just this party with people together and jokes of like these two people talking and they would go into their heads so you could hear them and they would be like like who who is this woman do i even know her <laughs> and they're acting like in the co- actual conversation it's so good to see you and it's like this just really weird thing elon's conversation was playing into his awkwardness where he's having a very awkward conversation with a very awkward woman and it keeps going into their heads of what they're thinking and it's it was just really well done um there was a sequence near the end where he was um wario from the mario games <laughs> he in the full get up and he was on trial um he did a really good job with that and you sent me a link to it at the end the very final skit was a cowboy skit which was the one that he was the most active in of all the skits he was in. And once again, I thought he did a really good job and it was basically, he was basically playing himself, but he was called Leron instead of Elon. And he was, he kept trying to push the idea of they were trying to go get these guys that were criminals. And he kept trying to say, well, we could just tunnel into them. You know, I've designed this thing where we could tunnel into them. They were like, well, no, we could just go in there with guns. He's like, but but this tunnel thing, I built this thing. They can dig 10 times faster than a gopher. And he he would not let up on these things. And they were all basically making jokes about how this guy is. He's smarter than the rest of us, but he keeps coming up with these wacky ideas. And somebody said, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And then it shows him sitting there going, Huh. And they're like, what are you? Oh, now he's thinking about reinventing the wheel. It was a really, really funny skit playing into his persona. Um, but I like that they held that one off to the very end. So I would kind of give it a recommendation to watch. It was very good. Um, the other thing that I watched uh, was the movie Tenant, which I had not seen. It's now on HBO Max. And I, I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan, but he's got a... He's got some bad tendencies in the way he tells stories. He, I would actually say, like, if I was a filmmaker, I, I think I'd be storytelling wise, kind of like him, where it's like you come up with these cool conceits and concepts, and then you try to wrap a, an emotional storyline around that concept. When he's left to his own devices and probably has nobody telling him no, um, I think he tends to fall into the the trap of it ends up becoming all about plot and all about the concept and character kind of like falls away that's tenant to me it's like i finished this two and a half hour movie and just kind of went huh i didn't really like that like Mm. because there is no emotional core to that film at all there's no tie to any of the characters the protagonist of the movie it was kind of like the only this is not a joke the only emotional beat in the entire film is one of the final scenes Mm. like the first time i felt like a oh it was a scene between robert pattinson and uh the guy who plays the lead who's actually denzel washington's son Mm. um there was a scene right near the end between the two of them where i was like "Ooh, a heartstring just got pulled um is there actually an emotional character moment happening here that i actually care about and is it robert pattinson that i actually care about in this film it's not the protagonist and so it was like the first time i had an emotional moment was two hours and 20 minutes into the movie it's like right first hour I didn't care about any character. And part of the reason I didn't care about any character was 
they just were bombarding us with characters. And the movie is basically an exposition machine. Like the first, you have this main character that they don't give any kind of, you don't learn anything about him along the way. And it's basically like a video game where you're just kind of going on fetch quests. And then you, you do the, you do the thing and you end up in a, in a position and then somebody just does an exposition dump on you. And then it's like, and then they end by telling you, and we needed to go pick this thing up. And then right. th you do that fetch quest. And then you meet another person who says to you and blah, 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 blah. And each person along the way is explaining the rules of the concept of what right. it is. And I don't want to say explicitly what it is, but it deals with time right. and messing with time and the rules of how time works in the movie has to be explained, which what feels like an hour of the movie is basically just explaining how it works. And it was right. like, at a certain point, I was just like, I don't care what's going on in this movie anymore. I'm having trouble figuring out what's going on in the movie. And to be clear, I understand, like after watching it, I completely understand everything that was explained. Right. But at the time I, it was making me work so hard to go, wait, what, how, what? Cause so many characters are like, bullets can travel backwards but don't worry about that and the next person's like explains it a little further and a little further and i at some point i just like okay i'm just gonna let this wash over me now i'm gonna stop yeah. working trying to understand this film i'm just going to enjoy the big spectacle scenes and that's where christopher nolan excels like cinematography crazy huge spectacle pieces and his filmmaking are just he's unmatched it's like there were scenes in this movie that were so creative and unique and i've never seen in any movie before with like i said with time there's aspects of time and time travely things that are happening in ways i've never even seen conceived of on film before and it was so well pulled off so from a visual standpoint from a spectacle and action standpoint i recommend it from a story standpoint the movie is an utter failure it is mm. uh it's like i it just his movie memento is way better than this uh, the Prestige is a phenomenal film that is like getting better with age. It is so good. The Dark Knight has so much emotion to it. You know, it's it's just a really good film. But his most recent movies, uh, they sometimes lack that heart. And it's just like he seems to be getting further and further away from character-based storytelling. Like Inception was like the last one that had really good centerpiece for the emotional storytelling um, for me. But it's like he just keeps getting more and more away from that. And that's kind of concerning to me because it's, do you think like, it's I don't the think... technology that's allowing him to do anything that he can envision is distracting him from telling a story, a simpler story of the it human might heart. Be. I think there's a little bit of him as a creator. He's trying to use different muscles and he's trying to like innovate in different ways through his storytelling. And I think at this point he is such a powerhouse director he could do whatever he wants. Right. So I think that at this nobody's point, pulling in his career, him back. Right. nobody's pulling him back and saying, you know what? There's not that much heart to this movie. You know, we want to see more about why he's doing what he's doing. Right. And his As you were talking about it, it reminded me of when it sounds like your experience of watching it is similar to the look I see on my partner's face when I try to describe video games to her. Yeah. Video games that I play. Um, and she does play some video games. It's not like she's foreign to playing a video game, but the things that I'm interested in that she's not, if I sat down and tried to explain to her, here's what this character did and here's why they did it. And here's what I had to go do. It lacks any sort of emotional connection for her. Yeah. And 
like as the player of the video game, I'm getting visceral experience from it that I find pleasurable, but it's not from that story. It's from my, the, my doing. And it seems almost like maybe he's enjoying the doing of the movie as opposed to yeah. conveying a story to you. It's, it's basically, you can tell he came up with this concept of what if time could do this and this. And then it was like, you know, a kid playing with his G.I. Joe's in the backyard of like, oh, we could have this really cool scene where like this stuff happens because of this. And then there's like, oh, then we could have another set piece, which is like this kind of stuff could happen. And then we could have a different set piece. Like it felt like it was all an excuse just to do these four different set pieces across the course of the movie. And right. so because of the way it was probably built out in his head, there was no emotional core. And it felt like the emotional core was tr they tried to right. lay it in there at the end. Um and I know there's going to be people that will say, oh, rewatch it. You know, I have to watch it multiple times to pick it apart. It's like, no, if a movie has to be watched half a dozen times to, to get it, to really right. kind of understand the emotional core, it's like, to me, that's an utter failure. It's like, right. I should be able to, it should grab a hold of me and hold me for that entire film. And so like this movie failed at that for me. It right. may work for somebody else, but man. The rewatching should be a pleasure. It should not be a requirement. Right. For me, it would feel like a chore. It's like if somebody said to me, okay, you have to watch this three more times. I'd be like... I'm out. <laughs> nice to see you. I'm not going to do that. So I have two uh, questions for our listeners. One would be, do you have a movie that's similar to this? Do you have something that you saw, which you were just like, wow, they did some stuff technologically and visually that was great, but it just misses the heart a little bit. And my second question would be, I'm curious if anybody out there has the antidote to the movie that Matt just described. Is there a time movie that you've watched that you think would be the better version of what he's just described? Yeah. Let us know what you think. You can leave the comments anywhere that you find this video, which would be YouTube or the podcast. We'll have the contact information in the description. Please do subscribe either through your favorite podcast provider or through YouTube. And don't forget, we do have a way to directly support the podcast. You can visit stilltbd.fm. You'll see the support the podcast link there. You can throw some quarters in the jar. We appreciate it. We appreciate every listening, every rating, every review, every comment. Please do share us with your friends. It really does help the podcast. Then the podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew puts so many bad jokes and puns into his video that it makes me want to stop watching. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>